Perfect Dutch. Cool, man. Okay. Um, so 15, 20 minutes. That's perfect. That way we don't bore everybody with me rambling about nothingness. So. <laughs> All right. So they just closed on your property then? Yes. So we're closing on Tuesday. Okay. Did they, did they get financing or? Yeah, they did. So the original people pulled out one day prior to them losing their um, earnest money. And they said it was because of the, uh, all the stuff that's going on right now. Did they lose their job or were they simply probably not going to get financed or do you not know? We don't know. We're assuming from our realtor, they said that uh, they're thinking one, one of them lost a job. Interesting. Interesting. Yep. Uh, man, it, it's shitty because now I hear that a lot of the lending companies are, re are reducing some of their employment qualifications. Okay. So they still might've been able to qualify, but if they couldn't have paid for it, they're going to lose it anyway. So yeah, and that was our thing. It was just like, whatever, like it's, we had the backup offer and they picked it up right away. We had it back on the MLS for like a day and then we got another backup offer as well. So cool. Perfect. The market seems to be going great here in Utah. So yeah, from what I understand in Utah is it's, but you guys are fairly unaffected. You guys don't rely on tourism as your main trade. And I think that you guys are still fairly employed, at least according, like here in Hawaii, it's a ghost town. Um, oh, I'm sure. And, where and so. All, where it's all tourist based. Yeah. 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 And I think that Utah, Utah got rocked by the last recession, right? I mean, they just got pounded mm -hmm. 35, 40%. But you had places like West Texas, Hawaii, um, different parts of Florida that were almost unaffected and almost Texas in general were almost unaffected by the last crash. And interesting enough, I feel like those are the places that are going to get hit the hardest by this turnaround. Yeah. Hmm. Texas and especially West Texas has already been rocked because their, their uh, oil prices have dropped down like $22 a barrel. So everybody in West Texas, Lubbock, that whole area around there, they're not mining as much oil. Hmm. It's so cheap. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so all of that market is extremely volatile and it'll spike quick and then drop quick. But even places like Austin that rely a lot on tourism and mm -hmm. um, entertainment and okay. musics and movies and those things, they're getting hit pretty hard right now. Dallas a month ago or three weeks ago already saw a reduction of 2% in value. Okay. Um, so those areas I expect to be hit hard. And then tourist places, New York, Hawaii. Yeah will probably just be obliterated by this. Yeah. So that's how I was looking. <clears throat> what are your questions that you had? So my, one of my questions that I've always wanted to get into, but really never have where I have rentals, I flipped a few houses, um, wholesaling properties. Yeah. It's five years ago, six, seven years ago, it was a very uncrowded space. And there was a lot of money made in wholesaling. So I'll, I'll kind of regress back to the beginning of wholesaling. When we started doing it, it wasn't called wholesaling. That's kind of a seminar term that people wanted okay. to start pitching at the ability to educate on it. And it makes sense because you're offering prices at a wholesale pricing to the end flipper. So the, the name makes sense. But back in 2004, 2005, 2006, we did it a lot with dirt. So we would go into a new subdivision and this is something that I've toyed with getting back into. You would go into a subdivision where they're just breaking ground and you'd usually try to get into phase one. We would go and tie up like eight lots, put $5,000 earnest money down on all eight lots. And then we would sit back while everybody else bought out the subdivision. And then once the subdivision was, was built out, phase two would open, 
prices would jump, would increase 15, 20, 25% for phase two, then we would go back to the builders who were wanting to get in at a cheaper price and we would sell our lot to them. They got a discounted rate. We made some money on it and it was only our $5,000 investment. Builders loved us because they just had to have paper on all of the lots in order for them to go and get phase two financing. So it's kind of a win, win, win situation for everybody involved. Um, that's kind of how we ran until building really tanked in the, the crash. New builds were the first thing and spec housing were the first things to crash. So then we backed off of it and jumped into wholesaling in general. It's kind of a cat and mouse game with the banks because banks and REOs don't want you to be able to wholesale. So when we first started wholesaling properties or distressed properties in the post 08 era, it was really easy to just assign those contracts. But mm -hmm. Banks started getting, um, they started getting wind of it. And if there was $5,000 extra made on the deal, they thought that was theirs because they were losing their shorts on every deal. So then they started doing things like they wouldn't allow assignment of contracts. So we started do doing double closes. They put 90 day deed restrictions on. So we've had to continue to get a little bit more creative with the way that we would transfer that ownership of the contract to the owner. It's, it's completely legal if you're selling your equitable interest, meaning you have a contract on the deal. If you're okay. trying to middleman a deal, meaning I know a buyer, I know, know a seller, make some commission in the middle, that's illegal because you're being an agent without, uh, you're, you're collecting a commission without having the licenses. So wholesaling, you need to have that contract which gives you equitable interest and that's actually what you are selling on the property unless you're doing a double close. If you're doing a double close or it's also called a simultaneous close where you buy the property and own it for a fraction of time, and then the next buyer buys it from you. So there's literally a 30 second period where you're the owner of the property. Then you can market the property as yours because you will selling, be selling the deed to the property, not the rights to purchase. Um, so double closes became very prominent when, when there was that 90, or, or excuse me, when uh, the banks wouldn't allow you to assign, but there wasn't a deed restriction on the property. But Fannie, Freddie, Chase, Wells Fargo, all of the big guys, typically now do a 90 day deed restriction, which means if you close and then go to transfer ownership, the, the, the title company will block you because there's a deed restriction that says there is there are no new owners within, uh, within 20 days. So you have to get creative at that point. And I have a lot of creative strategies. If you get to there, I can go over them. I don't want to waste all 20 minutes talking about it, but I'll brush on it real brief. The ways that we get around that 90 day deed restriction start an LLC or a trust and own the contract under that LLC or trust and then sell the LLC or trust because you're not changing who the buyer actually is. You're j just changing who the beneficial party to that contract is. Um, I usually do, it's, it's vesting at the time of close. So I still show up at the, con at the title company and close. When I close, I just vest it under that other new owner's name, whoever the wholesale buyer's name is. There are, there are states, te or, um, Illinois already has done it. Texas is considering doing it, but making dealing and contracts illegal unless you have a real estate license, which would pretty much end the wholesaling game in a lot of those places. Gotcha. Whole wholesaling has gotten very crowded if you're trying to do it on the MLS. At one time, we could do it on the MLS, but it's gotten really crowded. And the bad thing about the wholesaling industry is a lot of these guys don't know what they're doing. They don't know how to run accurate numbers. So they're just throwing out hundreds of offers a day, throwing mud at a wall, putting a, cop, a property under contract. And if they can't wholesale it, contract fails, it goes back on the market and the process repeats. I've had properties in Chicago that I've had 30 or 40 offers on 
that uh, are in a distressed state that I've, that I've just been flipping, buy them and, and, and sell them, kind of a pseudo wholesale. And I've had 30 and 40 contracts on them by people that act like they're the buyer, aren't really the buyer, are just trying to bluff like they're actually closing and, and they're just wholesalers and they can't get it done. And, and a lot of times they're offering more than the property's worth. If I'm a wholesaler in today's industry, I'm going to the, to the distress. And what I mean by that is going direct the seller. I'm finding the people that are in REO, pr the process, they're behind on their taxes, they're delinquent on, on, on uh, their mortgage, they're getting sued for something. All of those public ways that you can find people in distress, they're who I'm targeting. And uh, I used to do a lot of mailers and phone calls to contact them, but now I'll go knock on their door. And I have a pretty high close ratio and I just knock on their door and say, I'm here to help you. What can I do to help? Okay. So. Well, that, that would be something I think I'd like to get into as well to get a few more rentals or flips under my belt as well. Maybe finding those distressed homeowners that need bailed out basically. And that's when I, when I'm looking at a property, I generally don't look at it as this is going to be a wholesale. I look for the distressful situation and then I enter into that conversation with the person, see how I can offer a solution to them. Uh -huh. And then if I can offer a solution to them, then I look to see what my exit strategy is. So kind of what the solution to that distressed homeowner is will direct what I'm going to do with that property a lot of times. Gotcha. Um, a lot of my rental properties have come from this because I'll go knock on a door, that homeowner is in distress and for $5,000, they'll be brought current, put a couple thousand dollars in their pocket, they'll deed the property over to me and then we'll just wrap their mortgage. It's called a wrap mortgage in mortgage states. It's a D, it's an all-inclusive trust deed and note in deed okay. and note states. So basically just wrap their mortgage and they'll deed the property over to me. I will start making the payments direct to an escrow company. And uh, so it's, it's a basically a seller finance or a subject to where I don't have to pay off the mortgage. I don't have to use a lot of my own cash. I don't have to use um, high interest rates from hard money lenders. So just a little okay. bit of money down. And a lot of my properties flips and everything. And that's where if this goes to where there's more inventory from this uh, coronavirus, I think that's going to be a huge play is for seller finances. Seller finances. Yeah. yeah. That's one thing. One of the things too, that I need to figure out is how to make moves with maybe 20, $30,000 instead of having a bunch of money tied up for a large amount of time. And that sounds like a decent way to do that. That's in my opinion, the best way to do it. There are um, contract for deeds, which, Basically, it doesn't get deeded over to you. It's just a contract for that deed as long as you perform, but it leaves the property under that homeowner's name. And if you record it on title, it will give you a lien position. So you would be behind the mortgage, but in front of anything else. But if the person's already distressed and then I leave it under their name, if they get lawsuits against them, if they get behind on their taxes, if any of those things happen, that records against the property and now you can't perform because the property's encumbered by other liens and taxes and different things. So yeah. I like to get the property out of their name and into my name so I can be the controlling person. Yeah, yeah. Worst case scenario, you can use a land trust where you'll take the property from them and put it in a land trust that neither you nor them, them own. They're the beneficiary of the land trust until you finish your obligations to the, the contract. And then you automatically get, get uh, advanced into being the, the, the beneficiary without them having to sign anything further. So worst case scenario, you can set up a land trust, but not necessary. I usually, they just deed it over to me. I usually try to pay, if the property's listed on the MLS, I'll put 10% down. 
because that gives enough money for the agents to both get paid and all of the closing costs to get paid and a, a one or 2% going in the owner's pocket. But if it's not listed on the MLS, whatever they're in arrears and whatever will make them happy. Dump, yeah. Whatever will make them happy and sign the contract. That's what I do. It goes through a normal tile company with a normal closing. The company that I use for my seller finances is uh, escrow specialist. They're in Ogden. They're, okay. they're right up by um, in South Ogden, right by the driver's license division. Okay. So, okay. I know what you're talking about. The guy's name that's the owner is Jamie. He's really intelligent, really good dude, but their whole, whole staff is pretty good. They've got another office in Salt Lake, but uh, they're the same company and Jamie's the owner of that. So right. I, I used to know their number off the top of my head, but I don't right now. Okay. Yeah, escrow specialist is a, is a is a place that I would set that up, and they'll hold the mortgage in in they'll they'll hold the mortgage, the payoff basically, and then as as they make payments, they pay to escrow specialists. Escrow specialist disperses to you, and then they keep an accounting of it. So it's really nice because uh, you don't have to keep the accounting or anything when it comes down to closing. You sell the property, they'll they'll do all the accounting for what is owed to you and what is owed to the previous owner. And then what is owed to the mortgage company. They take care of it all for you. Okay. That's not, I'm gonna, that's going to be something I'm going to start looking into for sure. And then one more other question I have before I let you go. Yeah. Um, as someone with just a couple rental properties and things like that, what is one lesson you've learned through all the stuff you've done that you would say to do? Like, maintain, Number one, maintain equity. Um, one of the reasons that I lost all of my properties back in 08 was I had no equity in the properties. I'd stripped all that equity out to increase my buying power. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and by, by being over encumbered in each of the properties, even a small blip in the market, it does two things. Raising your mortgage amount does two things negative to you. First, it makes your mortgage payment higher. And so you're not cash flowing as high. So if you, if, if your tenant misses payments or if they destroy the property, if you need new roof or something, you don't have the reserves to do it because your property's not performing. And it also makes it so you can't sell the property. So you're stuck holding an asset that might be non-performing. So I like to personally have at least 35% equity in my property. That's a little bit more conservative than I think most people need to be. But I like to hold equity in the property, which buys down your mortgage payment, increases your monthly profit, and makes that asset a lot more affordable. And then the second thing that I'll add to that is I rotate my inventory every seven to 10 years if the market is in a place where that's a profitable position. And the reason is at about seven years is when you maximize your depreciation possibilities. You maximize the, depreci the, the depreciation of the property. But with my... With my 35% equity play, and that's what I want, in a typical 5% appreciating market, if you hold it for, for seven years, you've essentially got 35% more equity in the property at 5% times seven. So you've mm -hmm. got 35% ec more equity in the property, which if you sell that property and you have access to those funds, you've basically doubled your buying power. It's the power of leveraging money because now you have two 35% to go buy two houses with. So I try to rotate my property every seven years and it also saves me from a lot of expensive repairs like roofs, windows, furnaces, water heaters, all of the major components. So I usually hold for seven, remodel it, put it on the market and sell it and then 1031 that money into the next one or two properties. Okay. 
Um, I guess one more question. How do you feel about multifamily homes, like uh, properties? Yeah. I you, see that you mostly deal with single family from what right. I've seen anyways. Yeah, I do have some. I don't like, um, I don't like, I like duplexes, but the, okay. the three, four units, I don't typically like, and I don't like anything under 24 units. So I deal mostly in single family for a couple of reasons, because I like to rotate through my inventory. The, okay. the buyer pool on a commercial property isn't as high. If strict cash flow is what you're after, multifamilies are a lot better, but you deal with a lot more issues. It's, uh, and I don't want to offend anybody when I say this, but generally in multifamily, your rental pool is a little bit lesser, uh, okay. lesser quality than your single family rental pool because they pay less money for it. And so people that afford more and have higher credit want to have a little bit more space and, and room. So typically speaking, and this is, it's, it's transitioning more now to where your millennial population are happy living amongst other people. So it's transitioning now, but historically the, the rental pool is better in single family residents, but your appreciation is, is a little bit higher and your, um, your cash play can be higher. So I make my money a lot through correction, buy in depressed areas when they turn over, then resell commercial properties don't create the same chunk of money so you don't have as much money to play with in your next property but the end game for me is the 1031 all of that money from all of the rental properties that i would have other than the ones that i want to keep for personal reasons 1031 that money into a large multifamily 100 100 unit apartment complex or greater that can be professionally managed under yeah. 24 units you can't usually have an on-site property manager because there's not enough units to afford it. But over those 24 units, and especially when you get up into the hundreds, you can have on-site property management, which means it's no headache of yours, where your eight plexes are a huge headache of yours. I spent so many Christmases and Thanksgivings just being a referee over people that uh, were fighting because a guy upstairs smoked weed and the girl downstairs had a constant chain of people coming through at different hours of night. You know, you're just playing referee. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I got into a lot of those smaller size multifamily early and got out of them because of all of the issues that I dealt with. Um, I think if you were to deal in your higher, I was dealing in, in kind of the lower class areas with a lot of my multifamilies. But mm -hmm. I think if you were in the like Davis counties, Kaysville, those areas, your multifamilies, you'd still have a high class of rental. And I think you do just fine. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's been one one of the things I've been thinking about doing was selling one of my properties yeah. and rolling it into a multifamily, but maybe maybe rotating my inventory like you were saying, selling this one and maybe buying two or three with it with the yeah. profits from it would probably be my better option. And then and, and I 1031 the money so you don't have to pay any gains on the taxes. So 1031 yeah. it into the next deal. And if you do that two or three times, you'll have the, the, the cash flow to, if you can't afford a hundred unit building on your own, when, when you get to that point, there are, uh, and I can put you in contact with the guy. I'll give him a plug. His name's Matt McConkey. He does, um, oh gosh, I just forgot the name for it. Um, basically a conglomerate of a bunch of people that all come together. The name will come to me and I'll have to put it in the comments. But uh, basically he just gets a whole bunch of people to all come together on 100 unit complex and uh, you, own, you own a share in it. I'll give a little bit of a, a backstory to what he does. So he basically puts everybody together. You own ownership 
for whatever you put forward. So if, it, if it's a million dollar project and you put in $100,000, you'd have 10%. But okay. he's doing newer co apartment complexes. So within five years, there's a refinance and you take your $100,000 back out and still maintain your 10% ownership oh, okay. in, the, in the property. You can take your money back out and go play again in another one and still get that consistent cash flow. But it's on-site property managed with professional property managers that run multiple buildings. And you don't ever even get a phone call. You don't have to turn a wrench. You don't have to fix a broken pipe. So you just uh -huh. have uh, that, that, that ownership share in it. So he's okay. an agent there in South Ogden. Um, good friend of mine and Chad Butters. And, and I can put you in contact with him when the time's right. Okay. All right, then, ma'am. So, well, shoot. Uh, so how do I watch this back after? I will upload it to YouTube. And I'll also put it on. Uh, I use Anchor as the podcast. But then they post it after a few days to iTunes and everywhere else. So, but I'll okay. throw it up on, on uh, YouTube as well here momentarily. Okay. That sounds great, man. Cool. Um, yeah, I would, if you ever have anything like this again, I probably have more questions when I have more time and uh, cool. always great learning, man. Yeah, I'll probably uh, make it a more regular thing, I'm thinking, because I got okay. nothing but time right now. <laughs> <laughs> Same, so, here. Same here. Right, right. <laughs> cool, man. Thanks, Dutch. Right, have a good Sunday. Okay, thanks. Have a good one, man. Good bye-bye.